0: So far this year on Sunday mornings, we've been focusing on this idea of worship. It is one of our core values at First Baptist Church of Milton. It's... It's part of our DNA. We believe that worship is important. We believe it's important for you to worship in your individual life. And we believe it's important for us to gather every week and worship together. And and we believe that's important not because we want to have people in pews or not because we want to have this number or that. We believe it's important simply because God is Worthy. Amen. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us bowing down to him. He's worthy of our following him. And we're going to spend a few more weeks on this idea of worship. We will look next week at Isaiah and his encounter with the Lord in worship. And then we'll wrap this series up in a couple of weeks, uh, right before uh, we get to the springtime as we'll think about how our worship in eternity should impact our worship that takes place today. Several of you have shared with me over the course of these now uh, before today five messages you've shared with me that that the Lord has been working in your life and that you have experienced a a newfound freedom to express your worship to God and and my encouragement to to you would be to live in that freedom even when this series ends because when we stop talking about or we stop having sermons on worship we're not going to stop worshiping so I, I encourage you just to continue continue to live in that freedom. Now, several weeks ago, in fact, about a month ago, and I don't expect you to remember it. I can't remember what I had for dinner last night, uh, but I don't expect you to remember that too well. But several weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 95. And today, we're going to look at Psalm 96. If you have a copy of God's Word, open it up, or if you're using the device, power it up and look with me in Psalm 96. Be making your way there. We've looked at Psalm 95, which was God's invitation to us to worship, and today we're going to look at this psalm which flows out of Psalm 95. It is a psalm that will challenge us if we allow it to. I, what I want to go ahead and just do right now, let me go ahead and do the meddling, then I'll do the preaching, okay? Usually we do preaching and a little meddling, but let me just start off with a the meddling, then we'll do preaching, okay? Is that all right? Well, you well, doesn't matter if it's sorry, right. you won't we'll do it anyway, okay? One of, and I want you to hear everything I say, I want you to hear from my pastoral heart and love for you. One of our greatest fallacies that we make when it comes to worship is to conclude that this time of worship is about what we get instead of what we give. Now, yes, God is in the habit of using this time of worship to enrich our lives and to bless us, but our primary purpose in coming here today, biblically speaking, is not for us to get something from God, but for us to give something to God. You see, Scripture does not give us The license to gather on Sundays as consumers. Scripture demands that when we gather for worship, we do so as contributors. We are obligated to make God the center of this time of worship. Not the preaching or the preacher, not the singing or the choir, not the congregation and those who make it up. The purpose of this time at the center of our worship, it involves God, not ourselves. The purpose of our time together on Sundays is to please God, not to hope that God will somehow please us with songs we like or sermons we prefer to hear and walk away sulking if he doesn't do what we think he should do. For you see, as we gather here together to worship, the question we should not be asking is what did I get out of this service? Our question is what did I put into it? For God did not make us consumers. He created us to contribute. When we gather here together, it is not about me. It is not about you. This is about God. He is worthy. He is worthy. We are not. He is worthy of our worship. Now you say, pastor, why would you say that? Is that your opinion? Why would you make that claim? It's not my opinion. It's Bible fact. As I've told you several times before, don't get mad at me. I did not write it. I'm just delivering the mail. That's all I'm doing. God makes it clear that there are some demands of worship. In fact, look at Psalm 96 and Let's just read this psalm that's a psalm about worship and let's just see if it's telling us this is about us or if it's telling us that this is about God. Psalm 96 begins. Oh, sing to the Lord a a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, not me, not you. Great is the Lord, and he is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, not mine, not yours, his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, not to me, not to you. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Not my name, not your name, not the church's name, the Southern Baptist name to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord, not me, not you. Worship the Lord in the splendor of wholeness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, The Lord reigns. I don't reign. You don't reign. The Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge, not me. I'm not judging. You're not judging. He will judge. Judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. I want to ask you a question. The answer is the Lord. Who is this psalm talking about? Me? You? The Lord? Absolutely. He is at the center of it all. This psalm says so much about worship. So much that we we don't even have time to get into I mean, it tells us who we should worship, namely the Lord God. In this psalm, with the exception of two verses, the Lord's name or pronoun is used in every verse except for verses 11 and 12. This psalm tells us how we should worship with music, proclamation, by giving God glory, bringing an offering, coming into his courts, giving him holy lives, are witnessing for him according to verse 10. It tells us why we should worship, and it gives us several reasons. Verse 2, because God saved us, because he's great in verse 4, because of his power in verse 5. Verse 6 tells us because of his splendor and majesty and strength and beauty, because he's righteous and, and true. It tells us where we should worship. Verse 3 says, as among the nations in his sanctuary, in his courts, according to verse 8. It tells us when we are to worship, as we are called to do in verse 2, to sing praises and proclaim his salvation from day to day. I mean, this psalm is jam-packed with instructions for us when it comes to our worship. This morning, I want to especially highlight to you four demands of Worship that this psalm lays out for us in our lives. So then, every time we gather for worship, we should remember these demands. Remembering these demands will keep our worship about Him. Similarly, we should call to mind these demands every day of our existence doing so will help us make our lives about him. So pastor, what are those demands? I'm very glad you asked because I'm going to answer the question. Four of them. First is this. Worship demands that we exalt the name of the Lord. Worship demands (coughs) that we exalt the name of the Lord. This passage, just in the first verse and a half calls us to sing to the Lord three different times. When something is repeated in triplicate in scripture, it's done to get our attention. I want you to understand, this command, this demand of worship to exalt the name of the Lord has been in place since the beginning of time. For example, I want to show you how back in the book of Job, Job tells us that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God, the angels shouted for joy that when the world was created it sang a melody of worship to God and there's going to be more singing at the end of the age when everything, when God begins to put a bow on all that he's doing, there is this song that's called the song of the Lamb and the book of Revelation tells us what that song consists of in Revelation 15 in verse 3. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Watch, the world was created with a symphony of joyful praise, and all creation will break into song when Jesus comes again. The world started with exalting the Lord's name. The world's going to end with exalting the Lord's name. And everything we do in between is to exalt the name of the Lord. Everything. It is a demand of worship. And look at what he told us to sing. (laughs) We're to sing a new song to the Lord. That phrase appears about a half a dozen times in the book of Psalms. And it's several other places in scripture in the Bible. That word new, watch watch this. That word new can mean something brand new as never before. Like if you go and buy a new car, or it can mean something that is fresh and you receive it in new ways. Like when you have your second honeymoon. And it feels like you got a new marriage. I'm still in my first one, so I don't know what that's like, but anyway. (laughs) Now I want to talk to you about two extremes that I hear. Now I know I would never hear this while I'm pastoring here. I know I wouldn't hear these. I'm just saying some things I've had, I've encountered in doing this for a few years is I have some people who'll say, Preacher, I don't like all this new music. It ain't got any theology in it. It ain't singing nothing about the Lord. I don't like this new stuff. I'll stand the whole time we sing it. I don't like it. And then I got another group, again I would never pastor anybody like this here at this church, I know. (laughs) Who say, Preacher, I don't like that old stuff. I like them old hymns. They're so outdated. That language I don't understand. Like. Now, I'm going to give you the Hebrew answer to both. <laughs> You're both wrong. You're both wrong. We're called to sing a new song, new as in it's never been done before. We're called to sing a new song, new as if we're falling in love with the Lord all over again. Let, let, me, let me ask you to tell you this way. And since I've already meddled, let's just go a step further in our meddling. What if you were to turn on the news and the only thing that you heard reported were things that occurred in November of 2022? Would that be exciting to you to hear about news that's already happened? I wonder. I wonder if some of us are still reading the old news in our spiritual lives. I wonder if it's been so long since some of us have experienced anything fresh with the Lord that we are just living off the fumes of our relationship with God a month ago instead of today. I wonder. If some of us aren't walking daily with the Lord, so that we don't encounter Him at a fresh, new, meaningful way when we walk with Jesus and when we experience him in new ways of understanding him, we cannot help but break out in joyful praise. The psalmist could not have been any clearer. Worship demands all the earth exalt the name of the Lord. That means me and that means you. Worship demands that we exalt the name of the Lord. Quickly, number two, or kind of quickly, number two. Worship demands that we extend the kingdom of the Lord. <clears throat> worship demands that we exalt the name of the Lord and worship demands that we extend the kingdom of the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 2, the last part of verse 2, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. The kingdom of God is extended as we worship because we tell of his salvation from day to day among the nations. Our message is the gospel. Our method is to tell the good news. Our mandate is to take that good news to all people. I want to give you a brief synopsis of the news that I have read this week. It's probably the same news that you have read this week. Just this past week, I have read about a shooting at Mission. State University, a senseless, horrible act that took innocent lives. I also read about a shooting at a mall in El Paso, Texas, that began with an argument in the food court. I ain't been to the food court yet worth arguing over in a mall, but apparently something got started there, and I read of that shooting this week. I read earlier of a tragic crash of a Black Hawk of of military personnel in the state of Alabama. I continue to read this week of the conflict and the strife, but between Russia and the Ukraine. And just a few days ago, I heard an update about the horrific earthquakes in Turkey and Syria where the death total is now over 43,000 people. That's the kind of news that we read. That's the kind of news that is in our world. About the only news that's good enough to drown out all the bad is to tell of God's salvation day after day. There are people in your life, there are people in your neighborhood, there are people in your circle of friends and family who need to hear this good news. And when we worship, here's how it works, according to the psalm, when you worship, you realize how fully the presence of God has come into your life And you can't help but declare the good news of what God has done for you. I think about the man born blind. By the way, we had D now this weekend, 500 kids were here. One of the things they did is they took the clock off the back, so I don't know how much longer y'all are here for. (laughs) I think, and I'm not looking here, and don't hold your watch up, Right, it goes five minutes later. I think about the man born blind. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day, and it set all those religious folks crazy. Those Pharisees, they couldn't believe. And so they went to that blind man, and they peppered him with questions. Tell us, who healed you? Tell us, what did he do? Tell us, what happened? Tell us so we can investigate. Tell us this. Tell us that. Tell us that. And the blind man said, you know what? I don't have a clue what to answer you. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. (laughs) And in our lives, we need to understand and adopt the posture in our worship that, you know what, we don't know what there is, all there is to know about God. I have no desire to sit down with you and discuss 15 theories of atonement. It don't matter. What matters is that I know I was lost, but now I'm found. I know I was separated from God, but now I'm in the presence of God. I know that I once was an enemy of God, but now God calls me his friend, and that is news worth telling someone about. So when we worship and God's presence fills our lives, we cannot help but share that message with others. But that mandate doesn't end with our own little world. It says to extend it to include it among the nations, among all peoples. There's a world that needs Jesus, and our worship of Jesus demands that we do whatever we can to get that message of the kingdom to other people. Worship demands that we extend the kingdom of the Lord. Third, worship demands that we express the greatness of the Lord. It demands that we express the greatness of the Lord. There there are three times in verses 7 and 8 that we are told to ascribe to the Lord what is due his name. That word ascribe simply means to, to give, to show. Because we recognize his greatness, because we recognize his majesty, because we recognize his strength, we will want to honor him for how great he is. We will want to express the greatness of the Lord. How can we express the greatness of the Lord? Look in verse 8. It shows us, after it tells us in verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord. The end of verse 8 says, bring an offering and come into his courts. So, verse 8 gives us a very practical way to express the greatness of the Lord. When this psalm was written, people would take their offerings to the temple. Now, they had different kinds of offerings in the Old Testament. The offering that's mentioned here, according to scholars who have studied this much more than I, the offering that's mentioned here is called a thank offering T H A N K, like thank you. A thank offering. And those who are offering, that, that kind of offering occurs over 700 times in Scripture, in the Old Testament. That offering was an offering that was given to God as an expression of gratitude for what God had done in that person's life. The conclusion then is those who don't give an offering to the Lord, and we'll talk about that in just a second either don't recognize what God's doing in their life, or they recognize that they're just not thankful for it. So how? what is, what is our, our thank offering? And I think when you look at the totality of Scripture, I, I think it teaches us a few things about that. I mean, for example... Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, a text we looked at when we first started this series, tells us to offer our very lives and bodies to the Lord. When we surrender fully to Jesus, we will worship Him through the offering of our lives. Giving your life to Jesus for His honor and glory is an act of worshiping. When we <coughs> express the Lord's greatness, That happens when we gather here together for worship. Every week you have the opportunity to give God this offering because Hebrews 13, 15 says that when we worship, we are offering to God a sacrifice of praise. The giving of our financial resources as an offering to God is an act of worship. (coughs) Look, we don't ask you to give an offering to pay light bills or salaries. We like to have electricity. I like to be employed, but that's not the reason we ask you to give offerings. We ask you to give offerings for several reasons. One is commanded, but also in that command as we give our offerings, it is your act of worship. That's an act of worship. When you walk out these doors, put your offering in a box, that is your act of worship. If you, when you click the button online, don't click it online, just think, here's my tithe. When you click it, offer it as an act of worship to God. That is a thank offering for all that God has done for us. Worship demands that expression. Are you expressing the greatness of God? And fourth, worship demands that we expect the return of the Lord. It demands that we exalt his name, it demands that we seek to extend his kingdom, it demands that we express his greatness, and it also demands that we expect his return. Verses 10 through 13 of this psalm show us the reign of the Lord and his coming judgment. And it tells us in verse 13, that everything's going to be bowing down and singing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. Now, when Jesus came, it wasn't to judge the earth. It was to save the world, to save people. When he comes again, he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his Faithfulness. He's going to judge the world and the people who are in this world. That word judge, back up in verse 10, where it says the Lord reigns. He will judge the peoples with equity. That word judge is important. It means that God sovereignly rules over the nations, and he will judge everyone with fairness and with equity. In verses 11 and 12, we see that the whole creation, when pondering God's rule, when pondering God's judgment, breaks out in joyful praise. For you see, when Adam sinned, creation got all out of whack. When the second Adam, Jesus Christ, returns, all of creation will be delivered from the bondage that sin brought. And this last verse of the psalm gives us great hope that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, and friend, he's coming again. That's not a myth. That's not a fable. That's not a legend. Jesus is coming again. As one of my early pastoral mentors used to say, he believes Gabriel is licking his lips, getting ready to blow the trumpet for the return of our Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, he will judge this world in righteousness. He will judge the peoples in truth. He will dispense justice. He will vindicate believers. He will establish truth forever in a kingdom that will have no end. And when we worship, we are declaring that we believe he is to return. And we are asking, come soon Lord Jesus. Between now, this day, and then, that day we are called to worship you can't expect his coming and that expectation should impact the way we sing it should impact the way we serve worship demands that we expect the return of the lord Let me ask you this morning, two groups of people. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've heard some preacher yell about what worship demands of us. You pay close attention to this fourth demand. Because Jesus has promised that every single person from the most devoted Billy Graham esque Christian to the most hardened heart atheist, one day every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess, Jesus, you are Lord. My knee has bow to Jesus. My mouth has confessed to Jesus many years ago. And still every week when we gather to worship, we seek to bend our knees to Jesus and confess to him that he is Lord. But if you don't make that confession on this side of eternity, you will make it on the next side. You ain't got a choice. But when you make it on that side of eternity... It's only a confirmation. It doesn't lead to a conversion. You see, bowing the heart to Jesus on this side of the earth, of eternity, confessing that Jesus is Lord on this side of eternity, that brings salvation. The other side, it's only condemnation. So if you're going to bow down to Jesus anyway, why not bow down to him as a Savior instead of a judge? Because he is coming to judge this world. And you'll meet him as a Savior or a judge. So if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is a perfect day to begin to worship him. By confessing your sins, repenting of them as best you know how, and asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. If you've got a question about what that looks like or what that means, when we sing in a minute, you come down here and say, Pastor, I want to talk to somebody about that. I'll get you to someone right now today who will help you understand more about that. Or before you leave this building, you stop by this next step desk right outside these doors to the right, and we'll talk about your next step in following Jesus. That's one group, but here's the second group is for those of us who already follow him. Are you making worship about you? Or are you seeking to make it about Jesus? I'm not worthy of your worship. You're not worthy of your worship. Only Jesus is worthy of our worship. And will you give him your worship today? Would you bow with me this morning? As we bow and pray, after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. We're going to praise his name. This altar is open for you to come and to pray. You can pray just as well in your pew, that's fine. But if you want to come to this altar and pray, it is open for you to come and pray. I'll be here at this altar for a few moments. If if there's something that you need to talk about, if there's a relationship with Jesus you need to establish, if, if there's a confession of sin you need to make for not making him the Lord of your life and him being number one, whatever God's placed upon your heart, would you just simply respond to him? Father, I thank you that Jesus is worthy of our worship. I thank you that he came once to save us from our sins and that because of that, he is worthy. And because of that, any person can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. So, Father, I pray if there's one here today who's never taken that step of commitment and placed their faith in you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will not let their soul rest until they realize the need of a Savior and give up control of their lives to you. And, Father, I pray for those of us who've made that decision, whether it was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, or decades and decades ago, I pray we would never lose the awe and wonder at what you've done for us. That we would never make the mistake of thinking that worship is about us, but about you. Help us to do what you've called us to do in Jesus' name.